0: Well, if you were to start in Genesis chapter 1 and work your way all the way through Revelation 22, you would find point after point and time after time that God's grace did something in the lives of someone. And if I was to give you a piece of paper and a pencil and ask you to write down all the times God had been gracious to you, you would fill a paper up quickly. And so I just want to give you four things. We're going to get two out of them, two of them out of Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 8, 9, and 10. And then we're going to get two of them out of Titus 2, 11, 12, and 13. Six verses. I believe these are sister passages. I believe Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which you are extremely familiar with, that talks about how um, we are saved by grace through faith. But I believe also Titus 2, 11 through 13 talks about how that grace not only saves us, Jesus Christ not only saves us, but he teaches us and instructs us how to live in the culture we're living in today. And so I want to give you four things. Let's begin right here in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 it says, "For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works." which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. The title of the message is, What God's Grace Offers. What God's Grace Offers. Number one, it offers the gifting of salvation. The gifting of salvation. Look what he says right there. For by grace you are saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. God's grace What is that grace? That grace is that God looked down on us, a sinful people. He stepped out of perfect heaven. He came to earth and lived a perfect life. He died a horrific death on the cross. He rose a victorious resurrection from the grave, and he freely offers to you and I the gift of salvation. Aren't you thankful that amongst COVID and the weather, who knows what it's gonna do, People losing jobs, people looking for jobs, sickness. I have a friend on a ventilator right now. They don't think he's going to make it. He has COVID. That we are praying and begging the Lord to heal. And amongst everything that's going on, aren't you thankful that God is God? He is alive and well. He is seated on his throne. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the author and finisher of your and my faith. He is the great I am. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And it is by his grace that he offers to each one of us the free gift of salvation. See, this is a simple message. When you look at God's grace, it's not complex. We could go to some very complex passages where our little pea-brained finite minds cannot place an infinite God inside and begin to understand who he is to his fullest. Because if we could take an infinite God and place him in our little finite minds and understand him to his fullness, he wouldn't be God. But this is very simple. God's grace offers us the gift of salvation. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does this mean? It means you have sinned. I have sinned, everybody that's ever lived has sinned, everybody that's living now has either sinned or is going to sin, and everybody in the future is gonna sin as well except for Jesus Christ. All means all. We have all sinned. We have all done something, at least one thing that God says don't do, and we've all also not done some things that he's told us to do. So we've all sinned. Three chapters later in Romans chapter six, verse 23, it says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does this mean? It means your and my payment for our sin, your sin, my sin, is for me to die a spiritual death and spend eternity separated from God forever and ever. That's what I deserve for my sin. That's what you deserve for your sin. But aren't you thankful that we can hold on to John 3.16? Aren't you thankful that for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What is he saying right there? He's not talking about physical death. When he says perish, he's pointing to Romans 6.23 saying when it says the wages of your sin is death... You don't have to experience that spiritual death because Jesus Christ went to the cross. He bore all our shame. He bore all our sin. He took it all on himself. He said, "Die. it is finished. It is paid in full, and you do not have to experience an eternity separated from Jesus Christ. He gives you the opportunity to accept him into your life and to live with him forever in heaven. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me hear you say all unrighteousness. See, there's somebody listening today that in their mind thinks there is no way God can forgive me for what I've done. There's no way... The thoughts I've had, the things I've done, the sins I've committed, there's no way God can forgive me for those. And I'm here to tell you today that he says he can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do that would keep you from the love of God if you would receive him into your life. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Circle that word, will, if you write in your Bible. You will be saved. I love that. It's this picture that if you confess and believe, here's what Jesus is going to do. I love it. If you confess and believe him as raising from the dead and he is God, God says he will save you. Not maybe, might, can, probably, hopefully. Says you will be saved. How do you do this? If we look at this grace and we say, This grace offers us the gifting of salvation, how do I get that salvation? Most of you sit in here and say, This is a simple message. I'm already saved. But when we look around a room this size and we know people listening online, and a number this size, there are people that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, you may go to church and you may occasionally give some money and you may own a Bible and you may one time bought a Christian t-shirt and you may have a vehicle that had the little, you know, the little silver fish on the back of it, but you've never given your life to Jesus Christ to where he's come into your life and he has changed you. Watchman Nee one time said, When Jesus Christ comes into your life, he changes your mind, will, and emotions. That is every aspect of your being. I would ask you, has he changed you? I'm not asking you, did you get baptized? I'm not asking you, do you occasionally read your Bible? I'm not asking you, do you come here every week? I'm saying, has Jesus Christ come into your life and saved you? Point number one, the gifting of salvation. I would say this to you. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, get up right now and walk forward. One of our pastors or We've got lots of counselors. They'll take you over to the life room and they'll walk through this with you and they'll lead you in a prayer where you can give your life to Jesus. If you're not comfortable walking forward right now, just text the name Jesus, the 901901, and someone will get with you quickly because we want to share the love of Christ. You see, the next three points I'm going to give you are for the believer. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you need to get point number one inside of you. You need to invite Christ to come in. How do you do that? You repent of your sins. What does that mean? It means I'm walking this way towards sin and self and Satan and hell and separation from God and I literally just turn my back. I make a 180 degree turn and I say I don't want that lifestyle anymore. I want to walk towards Jesus. You repent of your sin. Number two, you believe. You believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay for your sins. Sin. And number three, you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I would encourage you, if you've never done that, to do that today. Well, number one, the gifting of salvation. Number two, the calling to good works. The calling to good works. Notice what he says here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not as a result of work, so that no one can boast. What is he saying here? There's nothing you can do for your salvation. Now I'm not going to call out other belief systems and other religions and all that stuff, but there's some out there that think you've got to work your way up to God. Can I just make a statement? You're going to be working a long time, and then you're going to spend an eternity separated from Jesus Christ. Because what happened is when Jesus was on that cross, the earth began to move, the veil was torn from top to bottom, and Jesus doesn't expect you to work your way up to him because it's impossible, he came down to you. So good works don't save you, they don't play a part of your salvation, but notice what happens in verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. What is he saying here? He's saying now that I've saved you, I've got something I want you to do. Matter of fact, in 1 Peter chapter 4, it tells us to serve one another. There's one good work. What other good works are there? You can help your neighbors. You can help the people in your house. You can help the people at work. You can give. You can share. You can go on mission trips. There's all kinds of ways you can serve. But let me just say this. When you know Jesus, he places the Holy Spirit inside of you and good works are really just the Holy Spirit overflowing out of you. Because there's nothing that you and I can do. Notice what he says at the end of verse 10. He says, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. In other words, they're not even your good works. They're not even my good works. I can take some money and go give it to to somebody and bless them, but the reality is, God allowed me to have that money. He's the one that gave it to me. So all I'm doing is just passing it on. If you want to do good works, it's just the Holy Spirit flowing out of you. You know when I realize I'm most selfish is when I had not spent a whole lot of time here and in prayer, and I'm not filled with the Spirit. And I become very selfish, and I don't begin to look around to see what God has called me to do. John chapter 15, verse five. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If you cut the branch off of the vine, it will not produce fruit. What does he say right here? We are the branches. You separate yourself from Christ, you can't do anything. But when you abide in him, when you rest in him, when you stay attached to the vine, it's the vine giving the sustenance and everything that's needed in order to produce that fruit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit let us not become boastful, challenging one another, or envying one another. When I was younger, I looked at all these things in here, love, joy, peace, patience, and all those as a checklist. Well, if I'm loving people, I'm doing good. If I've been gentle, I'm doing good. And I've missed the whole thing that it, what it is, is it's us abiding in Christ, and these are the fruits of the Spirit. They're not your fruits. We can't produce anything. We're not built that way. We're not made that way. But when he places the Holy Spirit inside of us, Jesus said he's the helper. How many of you know we need some help? I need some help. And he places the helper inside of us so that we can live out what he's called us to do. When I first started working here at Bellevue, I worked part-time in the gym, and I loved it. I remember I used to leave sometimes and think, it's unbelievable they pay us to do this. I mean, we just get to love on people. We get to play sports. We get to share the gospel. I mean, it's just incredible. But then we got pregnant with our first child, and we said, we're going to have to have a full-time job. Drew, you remember this. I ended up at the the, uh, lawn care company. But right before that, I worked for a really good friend of mine named Denny. Denny goes to church here, and he is... He's an incredible friend. He has texted me over the last few days that he's praying for me, he's been encouraging me, but I worked for him, and he owned a lawn care company, and we cut yard after yard after yard in the thousand degree weather over and over and over, and he rode the big lawnmower, and I had the weed eater. I never forgot how that worked. But one of the things I knew about Denny, I knew Denny loved Jesus. Denny would share the gospel with people. Denny would invite people to church. Denny would pray with me sometimes in the morning before we got started. Denny would text me often that he was praying for me, maybe something I was going through. Denny would ask and hold me accountable in what I was reading in the Word, and he would share with me what he was reading And he's been one of the kindest friends I've ever had. But one of the things I noticed quickly about him is Denny just had this this heart to just serve. Good works just flow out of him so easily. And I remember I would just watch him do things for people that no one ever asked. And so at that time, I was right before we got married, I was living with my parents. And they had a huge tree right in front of their house. And I mean it was huge. I couldn't wrap my arms around half of it. It was that big. And the roots had gone underneath the house, and it was beginning to cause some damage, and we needed to get it cut down. We called a tree company. They came out and told us the price. And my dad said, you know, we can't afford that. There's no way we can get it done. So a couple days later, I'm with Denny. He said, what's new? I said, well, we got this tree. We got to get down. And Denny said, no problem. I can take the tree down. I said, I I didn't know you took trees down. I've worked for you for a year and a half. we have never taken a tree down one time. Oh, man. We can take that tree down, we can drop it wherever we want to drop it, we can cut it up and it'll be done. Don't even worry about it. Tell them we're going to take care of it on Thursday. I said, okay. Thursday rolls around, he meets me at the house, I can remember Denny getting out of the truck and looking up at that tree and it should have been a red flag when he goes, that is a big tree. It wasn't. It wasn't a red flag. And my parents lived at kind of the end of a cul-de-sac and so we had decided that he was just going to drop it right there on the road. It It was not going to hurt any, it's not going to damage anything and we're going to drop it and then we're going to begin cutting it up. This is a massive tree. My family was gone and so Denny cut the notch out facing right where he wanted to drop it and he began cutting on the backside and everything seemed to be working perfect and I thought we were just about at that moment where that tree was going to begin to fall and we were going to celebrate And all of a sudden a wind came and that tree just kind of rocked backwards and it pinched his blade of the chainsaw in that tree. Well, he only had one chainsaw. That's a big old tree. And now the tree is slanted back towards our house. Now, we had prayed before we started. But this is what Denny says to me. Your parents have good homeowner's insurance, right? (laughs) I said, I guess so, I don't know. And he said don't y'all have pets? I said, yeah, we got a dog. He said, go get it. I said, okay. I went in to get the dog. I came out. Denny was on his knees. He had his hands on this tree, and he was crying out to the Lord that the Lord would help. And I'm not making this up. Denny and I have talked about this so many times. When he About two minutes into his prayer, a big wind came and dropped that tree. I'm talking exactly where he wanted it to drop. Denny and I jumped around that front yard like two three-year-olds had just been, you know, Given their favorite toy. I mean, we were we were pumped. We were praising the Lord and singing. And I said, Denny, why did you do that? He said, You know, I probably never cut a tree bigger than about that right there. <laughs> and he said, But I saw a need, and I wanted to meet it. And what I realized from Denny is he wasn't so concerned about the circumstance. He wasn't so concerned about getting rejected. He wasn't so concerned about what others may think. He just wanted to serve. And see, that just flowed out of him. And I would ask you the question today, do good works flow out of you? Are you filling yourself up with the Lord so that when there's a need, it just comes out of you? Number one, the gifting of salvation. Number two, the calling to good works. Well, now I want us to flip over to Titus chapter 2. I I really do think this is a sister passage. and We look right there, it says in Ephesians, for by grace you're saved through faith. Now look what he says here in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. He's talking about the same grace. He's talking about salvation that is offered to you and I. Verse 12 instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Number three, the training on how to live. The training on how to live. He gives us instruction. He gives us teaching. He gives us training. You see, what what does not happen is when that grace enters your life and offers you salvation, it does not leave you there as an infant drinking milk for the rest of your life. That grace begins to teach you how to live in, to be honest with you, the messed up culture we live in today. And if you are spending more time with the things of the world, how do you think we're going to live like Christ has called us to live? That last verse in James chapter 1 says to be unstained by the world. And what grace says right here is it is going to teach us how to live. It's going to teach us how to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. It's going to teach us how to do that. It doesn't just leave us in the same place. You see, oftentimes people think, well, grace will abound. I've heard this so many times. And I've heard some liberal theologians begin to just say this saying, we live under grace will abound, grace will abound. Can I make a statement? Grace will abound, but grace will not leave you where you are. If you keep doing the same thing over and over and over, God's not just gonna keep saying, it's okay, it's okay, don't worry about it. In my home, we spank. I don't know what you do in your home. I've got four children, they know it, okay? If you directly disobey mom or dad, you're going to get a spanking. That's how it works. Direct disobedience equals a spanking. They know that. However, there are occasions When I will ask them, do you know what you did wrong? And they will say yes. And I'll say, have you learned something from that? And if they say yes, I'll say, daddy's going to show you grace today. I'm not going to give you a spanking. But what happens when they do that same thing two hours from now? Do I just keep saying, I'm going to extend grace? And tomorrow, I'm going to extend grace? And next week, and it's the same things over and over and over. I'm just going to keep extending grace. How am I helping them mature in their faith? I'm not, how am I preparing them, to be quite honest with you, aside from scripture, how am I just preparing them to be a good employee one day? I mean, you know, the problem we have in our workplaces right now is so so many people are so entitled and they think they deserve all this stuff. Can I make a statement? When you give your life to Jesus, you forfeit your rights. You forfeit all that stuff and you say, God, whatever you want, whatever you will, that's what I want. That's what I will walk in the training on how to live Matthew 22:37 through 40 says and he said to him you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind this is the great and foremost commandment the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets you see what he's saying here? He's saying, he's, he's, he's teaching us, Jesus is teaching us. What do you need to do? There seems to be a whole lot of commandments in the Old Testament, and if you get into Leviticus and all that, and you're like, oh my goodness, there's so much I've gotta to try to do. Jesus said, listen, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, every aspect of your being, and then just go love your neighbor as yourself. When he was asked who his neighbor is, who is it? It's whoever's in front of you. It's not the building to your right, it's not the building to your left. You know who my neighbor was um, on Friday? I went to get a, te- a COVID test just to make sure if I was going to get up here and preach and be here that I didn't have COVID. And so right as I'm pulling in the parking lot, I was kind of a little bit sideways, so I decided to back up, and there was a lady backing up, and she backed right into my truck. And I'm thinking, my goodness, I'm trying to prepare this message, and I'm trying to get this COVID test, and this ladies backing it. And so I get out of my car, And it's just this sweet, sweet little old lady. She is saying, I bet she told me 30 times, I'll pay for whatever needs to be done. I'm so sorry. Are you okay? She just kept asking. You know who my neighbor was then? That was my neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Whoever God places in front of you. I wonder, do we have our spiritual antennas up saying, God, I want to love like you do. Micah 6, eight. he has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. He tells us right there, this is how you are to live. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. I wonder if Christians, now I'm not just talking about people that are on a church roll. I'm saying people that are actually saved. I wonder if Christians would not walk around arrogantly and kind of up on a high horse and placing all the blame on where our culture is on everybody else in this political platform and that political platform and this person and that person and we just started walking humbly and loving people and taking care of people and serving people and encouraging people and showing them kindness and loving them, I wonder, I wonder what could happen in our society. Ephesians 5, 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. How are we to live our lives? We look and see how Jesus lived his life, and we try to pattern our life after him. See, Jesus doesn't call anything to us that he hasn't first demonstrated. He told the disciples how to pray. They said, how do we do it? Jesus said, here's how you do it. He showed them. So when you and I pray, how do we do it? We need to take after the pattern that God has given us. Look at God, imitate him. What does he say right here? We're to be transformed. Our minds are to be changed. They're to be renewed. How do we do that? We do that by the grace of God, taking the love letter that he's written us, that is our guide for our life here on Earth, and we just begin to pour it into our lives. I love it when Brother Steve says, you need to wake up in the morning and take a Bible bath. I'll be honest with you, I read so much last night, it was like jumping in the ocean. But you know what? Physically, I was tired. Spiritually, I can't explain it. Because I stood in front of that microwave last night saying, God, what do you want to do? And he says, he finally got you where I want you. Listen to me. And it was just like he filled me up. And I was encouraged. When I went to bed, I went to bed. I just laid down, went to sleep. And when my alarm went off this morning, I was excited to be here today. Not because of me but because of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. The gifting of salvation, the calling to good works, the training on how to live, and number four, the waiting for his return. Go back to Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. In other words, wherever your feet are, that's where you are to be, living a godly life, but looking for, verse 13, the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. What is he saying? We are to live right here where he has planted us. We are to be a shining light for him that's not placed under a bushel, but that is placed on a lampstand so that we point other people to the coming Christ. I'm here to tell you Jesus is coming back, and you had better be ready. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. For our citizenship is in heaven, for which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder how many times we actually live our lives as if the Holy, as if Jesus Christ was about to come back right now. I wonder if we live like that. The disciples lived like that. You say, I don't know about all that. Just go read how all of them were martyred and killed and people were attacking them and putting them in prison. Why? Because they were teaching and preaching the word of God. They didn't care what the culture said. They didn't care what was politically correct. They didn't care who got upset because it wasn't them offending anybody. It would have been the word of God. They were pointing people to Jesus. I wonder, because the disciples thought he was coming back soon. I look at Paul. Paul thought Jesus was coming back soon, and he was living a life worthy that if Jesus came back, he could lay all his good works at the feet of Jesus and just give them to him. I wonder, are you looking forward to the coming Christ? I remember being a little boy thinking, you know what? I really want Jesus to come back, but after I at least get five years in the NBA. Five years, you know, I could make some money, I could have some fun, and then, you know what? Then Jesus would come back. And you know what? I I wasn't really looking forward to it. It was something that I knew was in the future, but I wasn't excited about it. And then I remember being about 13 years old and seeing a little boy get saved and seeing the look on his face and hearing him say, nobody's ever told me about Jesus. And by the way, nobody has ever told me they love me. And I can't believe that Jesus would die on the cross and one day I'd get to see him again. And it opened my eyes to the fact that God is calling you and I to live as if he's coming back at any moment. And I wonder, are we living lives like that? 2 Peter three twelve 12-13 says, Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We are looking for, hastening the coming of the day. He is coming back. Are you prepared spiritually? Have you been saved? What does grace offer you? It offers you salvation. Have you accepted Christ into your life. It offers you to do good works through the power of the Holy Spirit, not for your will, but for His, so that we can point people to Him and make Him known. It trains us how to live. It teaches us and instructs us how even in the perverse generation and culture we live in today, we can go through it unstained if we will follow the blueprint that he's given us. That's what grace offers you. And finally, it offers you the opportunity to wait in anticipation for his return. So I would ask you this, this morning, does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? Because here's what I don't understand. I hear people all the time say, yeah, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I go to such and such church, but if they wouldn't tell you that, you would never know it. If I went and looked at their movie selection, you would never think that they love the Lord because the movie selection they have is so full of junk and, as a matter of fact, goes directly against God's word, but yet since it's in a form of entertainment, we're okay with that. Can I submit to you, that is not okay. That is not okay. The music, the media, social media, all of this stuff telling us how to live our lives, trying to be like other people. Can I just make a statement? God has uniquely designed, shaped, and formed you. He has a plan and a purpose for you. And I want to know, does Jesus Christ Live in your life. Has he placed the Holy Spirit inside of you? And if he hasn't, I would say to you today, give your life to Jesus. In just a few moments, our pastors will be down here and we'll begin to worship some more. But we want to encourage you, if you have not given your life to Jesus, to walk one of these aisles and just tell them, I I don't have a relationship with Jesus. If I was to die today, I would spend an eternity separated from God. And I want to Give my life to Jesus. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. Don't walk away from it. Don't gamble your life away. Tomorrow is not promised. Next 20 minutes are not promised. Your next breath is not promised. If you don't know Jesus, I would encourage you to give your life to him. Those of you that are Christians, you've had a time in your life where you have received this gift of salvation in your life, I would ask you to evaluate for a moment. Am I still drinking milk as an infant? Or am I allowing God's grace to take me along in this sanctification process as I become more like Jesus all throughout my life until he chooses to either take me home or come and get me? I would ask you to do a quick pop quiz. Who's the last person you served? Yourself? Who's the last person you shared the love of Jesus with? Anyone? When's the last time you encouraged someone? When's the last time you showed kindness to someone? When's the last time you invited someone to church? When's the last time you shared the gospel? When's the last time you served someone with no hopes of their getting anything in return for it? You just wanted to serve that person because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You are connected to the vine and it is simply a fruit that he is bearing in your life. When is the last time you served someone? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to shape your mind, to change your desires, to make you more like him. I pray every day, Lord, don't let me be like I was yesterday. Draw me closer to yourself and teach me more. I want to know more. And lastly, are you waiting for his return? Oh, Christian, he's coming back. And I wonder if the group in this room would begin to go out and be selfless and serve everyone God places in front of them, loving people, being gentle and kind, not holding on to bitterness and hatred, but loving people for who they are. And who they are is that God designed them, knit them in their mother's womb, and he created them, and he loves them.